I want to begin by telling you that there are a lot of self-help motivational speakers in this world, especially in the world of business, when a company wants to encourage their employees, their sales force to increase business for their company, they will send them to a convention, to some kind of workshop, here's some uh, good speaker to get them all excited about their business and how they can apply some principles. Probably one of the best Christian motivational speakers who is now in heaven is called, his name was Zig Ziglar. And uh, if you ever heard his tapes or read his books, he's very optimistic, very positive. And he, of course, always throws in the gospel and how people need God in their lives. But he was a motivational speaker to encourage people. Now, I want you to know that I don't find fault with them. I don't criticize people who motivate people to do better. And because there is so much in attendance to these conferences and things all over the world, uh, it tells me that people don't have confidence. It tells me that people are lacking in any kind of confidence. So they go to these seminars, workshops, and get all excited, which they should do go back to their companies and then increase sales and so on. And so their employers know that people need to be encouraged by helping them to have confidence. So the word tonight is confidence. Confidence. That's a good word. Confidence. Having confidence. I'll give you three things about confidence tonight. First of all, do you think it's good or bad to be confident? Is it good or bad to be confident? Is it good or bad to have confidence. Sometimes confidence can be seen as arrogance or pride. And people can appear to be cocky, arrogant because they're confident. People though, if they're confident about doing something, wouldn't they normally do better in something, whatever it is, if they feel like they can do something or a challenge comes up, they feel like they can tackle the challenge. Sometimes people who have no confidence they're always afraid of failing, always afraid of not fulfilling someone's expectation or their own expectation. And so they never try anything different or new. They lack confidence. So what does the Bible say about confidence? Is confidence good? Is it bad? Is it wrong to have confidence? What do you think? Well, I don't know what you're gonna think and I don't have all night, but it's good to have confidence. Three things about confidence, number one. Number one, there is a caution about being confident. A caution about being confident. Confidence is a good thing. It's good to have it. It's good to be around people who are confident and positive and optimistic. But we need to be cautious about being confident. So, first of all, turn to Philippians chapter 3. We'll look at a lot of verses tonight. So, take your Bibles. Tonight is Bible study time. So, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians chapter 3. We'll take time to look at the verses. We'll read it. You read it in your own Bibles. I read it in mine from the Old King James Bible. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 1. And it'd be good if you follow along in your own Bible so that you don't fall asleep <laughs> or be distracted. All right, ready? Chapter 3 of Philippians. You read to yourself as I read out loud. Chapter 3, verse number 1. The word here is confidence. Let's see if we can spot what Paul says about confidence. Chapter 3, verse number 1 of Philippians. 
Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same thing to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now, when it says beware of dogs, he's not talking about German shepherds or um, Doberman. He's talking about people who act like dogs. Well, dogs bite and chew. They get vicious. They get angry. They do what they want to do. People do it for selfish reasons. He says, beware of people who are like dogs. Verse 3. For we are the circumcision which or, which worship God in the Spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no and have no confidence in the flesh. The first thing about confidence is you want to be careful about it, be cautious about being confident. Now, in verse number three, he says, "We who are saved, we have no confidence in the flesh." Now, we don't know what that means yet until we keep reading. That's one of the things about the Bible is you read a, a verse, you read a word, you're not sure what it means, you think you know what it means, but to make sure that you know what it means, read the verses before and after the issue, which is the word confidence. Look at verse 3. Have no confidence in the flesh. What does he mean? Have no confidence in the flesh. Is he saying don't have confidence in your doctor? The doctor is a man of flesh. Have no confidence in your dentist, he or she is it going to work in your mouth? You are putting your yourself in the dentist's hands. And so should you have confidence in your dentist? What does it mean by have no confidence in the flesh? Well, let's keep reading to find the answer. Okay. Verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath well, uh, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now, he's about to tell you in the next few verses about what he means by having confidence in the flesh, or don't trust your flesh, don't have any confidence in your flesh. He's about to tell you why he, if he was trying to be self-righteous, he is the one who has confidence in his own self that he is quite qualified to be confident that he is going to stand before God one day in his righteousness. He is confident in his flesh. So we'll understand that as we keep reading. Verse 5, he's going to give you a list of things he has done to say, if I am trusting in my flesh for salvation, if I am trusting and putting my faith in myself, I am qualified. Verse 5, here, here's what I have done to be confident in my flesh. Now, he's not, but here's what he's saying. Here's his argument. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. He's saying that he has religious credentials, that he is uh, the right kind of a person of the right heritage. He's a Jew. He's a Pharisee. Verse number uh, five. A Hebrew of the Hebrews is touching the law of Pharisee. Verse six. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law or in the law, blameless. What a what a man to to claim that he has obeyed the law, the Ten Commandments, and anything else that is involved. How how arrogant of him to say. If you want to look at a man who obeys the Ten Commandments, I am it. He is speaking very confidently. No man can say today, I obey the Ten Commandments. Can you obey the Ten Commandments? Can any man obey the Ten Commandments? Do you know the Ten Commandments? Do you know what they say? Okay, I know. Thou shalt not kill. Okay, I don't kill, so I will obey the Ten Commandments. That's just one. What about the rest? See? So he said, I... Keep the law. I can 
brag. I can say confidently, I am righteous. That's what he's talking about. But then he does say, I have no confidence in the flesh. I don't trust myself. And so going down in the verses, uh, well, let's read it because it is important. Verse number six, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is the law blameless. Verse seven, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Now he is saying, once I realized that salvation is not by works, it's by faith. All the good works that I have done, he says, it's just, it's, it's not worth anything. Everything that I've done, the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Everything that I've done, verse 7, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Verse 8, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is all the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, and so on. Now, he is saying all of these things to explain verse number three. Have no confidence in the flesh. I have no confidence in the flesh. So the first thing we know about confidence is don't trust yourself when it comes to earning salvation. It is not possible to trust your good works to become righteous before God. And so don't trust your flesh. Have no confidence in your good works. It's all vain. Your confidence can never merit your righteousness before God. And so that's the first thing about the caution about being confident. Never trust your own good efforts to be right with God. People do think that nowadays. People hear about the Sermon on the Mount. They think they must keep these things and do these things for them to have the chance to earn God's righteousness. But that is not true. Paul says, have no confidence in the flesh. Now, come to Proverbs chapter 14. Here's another thing to be cautious about when it comes to being confident. Being confident means you approach something, you try something, you do something, and you feel like you're going to be successful in it. You feel like you can do it. And you are bold about it. You're brave. But do you know that in Proverbs 14, there are some things that people do, and they feel brave about it, but it's very wrong. Now think about it. Is it possible for people to be brave and have confidence in trying something and doing something, but it is totally wrong? Have you known people to try something that's dangerous and they think it's okay, they're, they're, they have confidence? You see people diving off a cliff in Acapulco, these, these divers, they're very good, they jump off and they twist and turn and then they fall straight down like that without hardly a splash. It's so dangerous, but they're confident that they can do it. You ever see bullfighters? <laughs> bullfighters in the ring? They do the ta 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 like the bull charges them, and then they, at the last second, they twirl, and then the bull misses, and the bull comes around, he's mad again, he goes, and he tries to cue this guy, and the guy just, and the bull comes, and he steps aside. They're very confident. The crowd cheers. The bullfighter feels very confident. But did you know that bullfighters, sometimes they get gored by the bull's horns? Doesn't happen every day, but every once in a while, they get overconfident. They're doing something dangerous, but because they've done it without being hurt, they think the next time they won't get hurt. They're confident, but their confidence is in the wrong thing. So look at Proverbs chapter 14. Here's one thing 
as a caution to not be confident about. Proverbs 14, verse number 16. Okay, look at the verse carefully. After I have told you about bullfighting, wrestling with alligators, putting your mouth, uh, putting your head in the mouth of an alligator because it's a circus act. Oh boy. Look at verse number 16. Proverbs 14, 16. A wise man feareth and departeth from evil. Now stop there. When it comes to evil, what does a wise man do? Wise person. A wise man is told by his friends, hey, let's go rob 7-Eleven down on King Street. Why? Because between 8 o'clock and 2 o'clock in the morning, there's only two females there. Only two girls working there. It's safe for us to rob 7-Eleven. So three guys three guys get together, one's the driver, and they're gonna go into 7-Eleven, and they're gonna make, they're gonna buy something. One guy goes, looks around, and goes to pay for something, the other two are gonna steal something. Now this camera's there. They're not gonna get away with it. They're gonna get caught if their face is shown. So one guy distracts the cashier and asks questions, get him distracted. Oh, I need uh, 15 monopoles over here. No, no, I want seven uh, poor cash. Uh, and so she goes and gets busy and she gets distracted and then this guy and the other two accomplices are going to steal that was the intention to do they get away with it they think that they are smart they're smart because they plan it out at the right time picked on the right people those girls are not going to dare approach these men and tell them to stop so they're doing something wrong look at verse number 16 a wise man feareth departeth from milk he won't even try his friends say, come on, let's go do it. You're going to say, if you're a wise person, no, I ain't going to go there. Not me. Well, what, you scared? Yes, I'm scared. <laughs> I don't want to go to jail. I'm scared. And uh, the fool, on the other hand, look at verse 16. But the fool, now, verse 16 has two parts. First of all, the wise man does not do evil. Verse 16, he departs from evil. But, on the other hand, verse number 16 tells us, but the fool rages. And it's and is what? Confident. What is this raging all about? He is, he's talking big. He's, he's saying, hey, no, I gotta figure it out. Here's how it's gonna be done. You do this, and I'm gonna do that, and I'm gonna do that. Now, you stay in the car, keep the car running. Don't turn the car off, keep the car running. Okay? And when they come out, when, they, when, when we come out, this guy, he's just gonna take off. We're gonna all set up. I got the car facing out. I'm not facing in, I'm facing out. So when you jump in the car, we're gonna take it real fast, they'll never catch us. The fool, he's bragging, he's raging, he's talking about, he's talking loudly how it can be done, how evil can be done. And yet, though he's so confident. Now that's the point, he's very confident. He is sure it's gonna work. So when it comes to a caution about being confident, don't do what this man has done here. Don't think that you can do evil. Don't deceive yourself to think you can do evil and get away with it. It's, it's like that story I gave to you. It'll never work out. They might, they might do it once, they might do it twice. They might try a different 7-Eleven. They might go down to White Powell instead. Down on Farrington Highway, there's a 7-Eleven there. It's kind of in the dark shopping area. And it looks like it's an easy place for someone to rob. So 
the fool is confident he can get away with it again because he did get away with it. And he's going to try it again and do it again. And then go to a different place and try different things. He's confident, but he's a fool. So the caution here is just because you think you can do something, if it's wrong, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't try to do it. If it's wrong, don't do it. It will not work. You get caught. It's almost like smoking. It's almost like drinking alcohol. Now, the slogan is drink responsibly. The slogan is, the slogan is, if it's light, you can do it. If it's Bud Light, you can do it because it's less calories, so it's okay. See, it's light, it's okay. So whenever there's a um, Super Bowl or some kind of celebration, graduation, uh, a lot of times there's, there's alcohol besides the food. Whenever there's a celebration, some kind it's gonna be alcohol. Now, when a person indulges in alcohol, it doesn't seem to be bothering them for a long time. They may drink a few beers, maybe it doesn't bother them, maybe they're not driving, or if they're gonna be smoking, it doesn't seem like it bothers them. They might first cough a little bit, but after a while they get used to it. But see, over a period of years, it piles up, it adds on, it affects inside. But at first it doesn't seem to affect it except the newness. Once you get used to it, then, then you begin to crave it, then you begin to expect it, then you begin to want it, then you begin to think, hey, this is the way to do it, to celebrate. And so the fool rages, and nobody's gonna tell you at a, at a drinking party or at a, maybe a wedding reception or a Super Bowl tailgate, whatever it is, no one's gonna say who's drinking beer, hey, you know what, drinking's bad for you. They're not gonna do that. Everybody's gonna say, hey, bro, here's a beer. He goes, hey, thanks, bro. Hey, here's another, hey, thanks, yeah. And they're gonna clack, they're gonna click, click, and they're gonna celebrate and give toast and things. They're gonna keep drinking. Nobody, nobody's, nobody's gonna be saying, oh man, this is gonna hurt your liver. They're not gonna be talking like that. They'll be saying, oh, it was so good. At the end of the evening, shake hands, hug, hey bro, thanks for inviting me. It was so much fun, man. Oh, so much fun. It was so good. Oh, I feel so good. Oh, so, everybody's so happy. We, everybody's get together. So nice to get together. Oh, we had so much fun. 12 cases of beer gone, or six. Now, you know what they're doing? They are raging. They're, they're bragging about how great this all is. He's confident, but it's not gonna be good for their body. It's like smoking and drinking, it'll catch up. It's taken years for the lungs to get all black. Doesn't happen in a month, it takes a long time. It piles up, goes up. But while they're doing it, while they're drinking and smoking, they don't seem to be bothered by it. So they're raging, they're confident that it's okay. So I tell you that to let you know that the Proverbs, the Bible tells us, don't be confident about doing wrong things because it'll catch up to you. All right, now let's come over to something else. That's number two. Number one is uh, put no confidence in the flesh for salvation. Number two, don't trust, don't trust something that's bad for you that's gonna be okay for you because it'll catch up to you. Don't rage, don't be confident about something that's bad for your body or for your spiritual life. Number three, don't put confidence in a man. Don't put confidence, that's the third thing, don't put confidence in a man. Come to Psalms chapter 118. Back up to Psalms chapter 118. There it is, I found it already. That's because I have it, I have it tabbed already. Psalm 118. 
verse number 8. Psalm 118, verse number 8. Now, you are reading good verses. The first two points, it had good verses, strong verses. Here's another strong verse or two. Psalm 118, verse number 8. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. You see the word confidence? It's better to put your confidence in God than to put a, your confidence in a man. Look at verse 9. It is better. Do you notice that twice he had the word better? In verse number 8, better. In verse number 9, better. Do you know that there are a lot of things that are better than other things in this life? Some things are not as good as other things. Not everything is the same. Some things are better than other things. Let's take some examples. Think with me. What is an example of some things are better than other things? Let's take, for example, let's take, for example, when it comes to prices, prices of food. What store has better prices than another store? Name a store. Okay, if you can't think, let me think. Okay, Foodland to me has higher prices than Times, I think. In some items, so I would say, oh, Times has better prices than Foodland. Then I would say, Walmart has better prices than Target. See? And I would say that this bakery makes better donuts than this bakery. I would say Krispy Kreme is better than Dunkin' Donuts. I do think that. <laughs> McDonald's coffee is better than Starbucks coffee. Besides, it's cheaper. You get a senior coffee, see, 91 cents. Well, so the word better is here twice. He says this about confidence. Don't have confidence in a man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Verse 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Now, he goes from trusting in a man now to trusting in a prince. Well, what could the prince be in our life today? It's better to trust in God than to trust in a man or put confidence in a man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. What could be our princes today? Now, of course, in olden times, in Europe, a prince could be someone who is, a prince is a son who is waiting like to be the king. Okay, so would you also say it's okay to say, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in a king or in a queen? That'd be true too. So in a person who has status, it's better to trust in God than a person who has status. Now, for today, we would say, it's better to trust it's better to trust in God than to trust in a, quote, politician or a leadership figure, uh, a person who is an authority. It'd be like saying it's better to trust in God than in your teacher. Oh, wait a minute. Are all teachers the same? The answer is no. Are some teachers better than other teachers? The answer is yes. Do you have a favorite teacher? The answer is probably yes. Everyone has a favorite teacher growing up in school. The thing to understand is, if a teacher tells you something that is not true, or anti-Bible, or against the Bible, it's better to trust in what God said than to trust what a teacher says. 
It's better to trust in God than what a professor says. It's better to trust in what the Bible says than to trust what your friend says. So this is how this all works out, how it's real practical. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men and in a prince or a princess. And so do men fail? <laughs> Why am I even asking the question? Do people fail? <laughs> Fake laugh. Why am I even asking that question? Why am I proposing to you that people fail? Have you failed someone before? Sure. Have people failed you before? But didn't you trust them and they failed you? Sure. You know, the saying is this, never co-sign for a loan. Do you know what that means? Never co-sign for a loan? That means never put your name on an official document where you are liable for money to be paid back. Oh, please, Daddy, please co-sign for me. Oh, Mommy, please co-sign for me. I promise you. Or your cousin, or an uncle, or an aunt. I gotta buy this car. I gotta buy this EV. I gotta get one. I gotta. I got to have one. I got something. But I, I need a cosign. The bank says they can only give me a loan if I have a cosigner. So, so grandpa, can you cosign for me? This is your granddaughter, your grandson. This is a niece or a nephew saying, "Oh, dad, will you please, uncle, uncle, can you?" And you're so tempted to do it. Okay, if I sign for this. Uh, let's, let, me, let me back up, uh, my grandson, my, my nephew, my niece. You want me to co-sign for this? Now, how much are they saying you must pay every month for this car? Yeah, it's a, it's a Tesla. Oh, no kidding. You mean you have to pay $750 a month in car payments? And you can't afford that? So you ask me to co-sign? Co-sign means I will help you pay for this. If you can only pay $500, which is a lot, that means I, I, have, to, I have to help. But if you can only pay $200, oh man, you see how bad this is? Or if you can pay one month, 700. And you're short 50 because this says 750, not 700. You owe 50. If you don't pay this month, next month you owe not only 50, you owe for the next month plus the one you didn't make. So now you owe 100. And if the, the longer you don't pay it, the more it piles up, the more you're gonna sink into debt. And you say, so, so nephew, you want me to co-sign for this loan? And the bank will grant you the loan if I co-sign. That's right, Grandpa, Uncle, whoever, whoever I am. <laughs> I will love you forever. I'm sure you will. But if you get sick or you lose your job or what happens, then who is responsible for me for the loan? Uh, uncle, I guess it's going to be you, me. I have to pay this. And whatever you didn't pay last month and the month before and three months ago, I gotta pay, yes, you have to. When you co-sign for something, you're in a big, big hole. That's right. Now, sometimes it works out, but that's just sometimes. Most of the time, the person who wanted to get that car or whatever he wanted to get, if he had just waited and been patient, the price of the thing could have dropped, he could have saved more money, 
Don't need a co-signer. But he had to have it now because he wants to have it now because he's a spoiled, rotten kid. And he has he's been told, think big, dream big, ask big, and you're gonna get big. You know what you're gonna get big? Big trouble. You get big trouble. So if you put your confidence on a man that he's gonna make the payments, a lot of times it fails where you have to fulfill your obligation and make payments. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. It's a bad risk. So in Proverbs chapter, uh, Psalm 118, is that where we are? Yes, we are. Yeah, 118. 118, verse number eight and nine. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in men. No matter what they say, no matter what they promise, there's a chance they will break their promise. There's a chance they will not be able to keep their promise. There's a chance. Instead, verse 9, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. It sounds so good. Sometimes people are presented some financial scheme or some, some plan where the interest is guaranteed 10% or the interest is guaranteed 12% and never would try. A lot of things can be presented to us and it sounds so good and the presenter looks like they are so professional. They have so much. And it looks very believable. But they want you to do it right now. When there's pressure to do something right now, it likely is something you shouldn't do right now. Don't do it. And so men can fail. People can let you down. So don't have confidence in men. Now, let me ask this question along that line. Is there ever a time to have confidence in a man? He says, don't have confidence in man, trust in God. It's going to have to be either or, so, so cut right in half like that. Is that what he means? It's putting no confidence in man, just trust in God. So does that mean you, you can't trust anyone? Well, let's think this through. Let's think this through. Do we trust in people? Yes, we do. A lot of times we trust in someone. Can you give an example? We trusting in people? We do, and it's not wrong. It's reasonable to trust in people. But he says, don't put your confidence in man. So what does he mean? We have to think about what he means here by not putting confidence in man. He does say, trust in God instead. Put your confidence in the Lord, but what does he mean by, what is the balance about don't put confidence in man? Is this a statement of saying, never trust anyone? Well, practically, practically, we all have faith in people. Practically, we have confidence in people. Yes, we do. Okay, I'll give an example, but first, I'd like you to give an example what it means to not have confidence in man. Yet, there is some consideration here because we do have confidence in man. Okay, I'll start first. And then someone else tell me, give me an example. Okay. I have confidence in my heart surgeon, Dr. Khan. Is it Khan or Zia? Who is it? Surgeon. <laughs> heart surgeon. 
Yeah. Whoever I see, <laughs> I have confidence in him so much I forgot his name. Uh, and his PA, physician assistant, they're very good. And so what they tell me, I listen and take to heart. I do what they say. Now one of the things he tells me, and because I have confidence in him and his medical device, he says walk every day about 30 minutes. Well, I don't walk every day for 30 minutes. Sometimes I walk for more. Sometimes I walk less. Sometimes I walk on a certain day much more than what I'm required to do every day. I just figure I'm going to do a lot more here because I haven't done for two days. But I try to keep up with what he says. I try to keep in step what he says. Ha ha. Keep in step. Walk. So I try to do what he says because I have confidence in his medical wisdom. Okay? So that's an example of having confidence in man. But he says don't put confidence in man. So what does he mean? Give another example of having confidence in men. So, I experienced this one before. There are five uh, singing pastors, so they travel a lot. So what happened, they, they came over here in Hawaii, and then they have a check that needs to be uh, cast. So, so they asked me, I said, hey, Carmen, could you try it? Uh, help us? I want to cast this check. And I said, how much is that? Ten thousand. So, yeah, you can go to a bank and you know. And then the, the catcher, uh, the teller told me that, are you sure you're gonna trust them? You know, they're pastor. So, I, you know, a company that they cannot, they're not going to do anything with the check or bouncing of the check. But after a week, the bank called me and said, hey, uh, Mrs. Nadia, you know, we never, uh, the, the check bounced. Oh, you're not kidding. I was, my husband said, oh, I thought they're a board pastor. So now I'm thinking, why did I trust them? So. Yeah, put no confidence in man because you just don't know sometimes. Yeah. But after two weeks, I called the, you know, the, whoever, the treasurer or the, the singing man. and said, oh, I ne uh, the check bounced. So, oh, don't worry, we'll go, you know. So after two weeks, finally, but I was praying to God. It's glad I helped them because they don't have, you know, money to to travel or whatever. So I trust them because, you know, they're a pastor. Well, but, but I mean, God answered my prayer that, you know, the, the Yeah. So He says it's better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man because man can fail you, man can deceive you, man cannot be able to fulfill what they say they would do because they're limited. So many reasons why man fails. However, the example I'm looking for is yet we are able to trust in a man. It says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in you. So it is a comparison. It's not really saying... It's not saying either or. Yeah. And then I think, too, like kind of what Carmen was saying, sometimes people um, put their trust in their pastor or something, and, yeah. and then their pastor does something that they don't like or something that's wrong, mm -hmm. and then they decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to give up on God because mm -hmm. this happened. And so in, in that way, people are putting so much confidence in a man that when he falls, then they fall 
too. They yeah. fall away from God too. Mm. That's bad when that happens. So you can trust a man to a degree. You can't have confidence somebody's honest to a degree. You can't trust a babysitter who has watched your kids for years. Maybe you've known that person because it's a family relation or something like that. But there's something you just trust. You don't you don't worry about them because you do have confidence they're honest and so on. So don't be extreme where you say I can't trust anyone because the Bible says don't trust in man. No, that's not what he's talking about. There is a balance about a lot of things, more like everything. And so you trust in God, but you also have to understand that it's okay and proper and right and normal to put your confidence in a man. If you go to a trusted mechanic, you can have confidence in him. He'll do a good job in your car without charging you too much. A lot of times mechanics didn't let you see with them working. And sometimes if it's a, a large company or a company that has a lot of employees, sometimes if it's an oil change, they don't change your oil or they don't change your filter, but they change the oil. You, you don't know sometimes. They take this part, but maybe they didn't take it out, change the alternator, but they didn't really change the alternator or the water pump or something like that. So it's always good to, can I see the part that came out of my car? Can I see the lizard, the gizzard? Can I see the kidney that you took out of my car? <laughs> and so then you have more confidence that they did the right thing. But uh, so he's not saying don't trust, don't trust. He's saying, there's one person you can trust totally, that's God. Because he doesn't fail, he doesn't lie, he's not like a man. All right, now, so those are the three things about trust or confidence and have some caution about that. Put no confidence in the flesh for personal salvation. A fool rages and is confident, don't be like him. And then, don't trust in a man. The second one, don't trust yourself, and then don't trust in a man, because a man can let you down. Instead, now here is something. Um, number two, number two. Confidence is a blending of faith and works. This sounds strange. Confidence, properly understood, is a blending of faith and works. Number one, there's a caution about being confident. Number two, Confidence is a blending of faith and works. Uh, come to Psalm chapter 18. You are in Psalm 118. Go back a few pages to Psalm chapter 18. Here's an interesting verse. Psalm 118. Actually, I want you to look at 25 verses with me. Huh? 25 verses? Yes, they're good verses. Psalm 18, begin at verse 25. Now, please follow each verse. Psalm 18, verse 25. Let's begin at verse 25. So you read in your Bible, verse 25, I'll read it out loud. Psalm 18, verse 25. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful. With an upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. With the pure, thou shalt show thyself pure. And with the froward, thou wilt show thyself froward. Verse 27. Thou wilt save the afflicted people, but will bring down high looks. For thou wilt light my candle, the Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Verse 29, for by thee I have run through a troop, and by my God have I leaped over a wall. You try to picture the words in your mind and imagine jumping over a wall without a pole vault stick. 
As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is the butler to all those that trust in him. For who is God save the Lord? Or who is a rock save our God? It is God that girdeth me with strength and maketh my way perfect. He maketh my feet like hinds feet and setteth me upon my high places. He teacheth my hands to war. Nope. He teacheth my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by my arms. We'll get back to verse 34 in just a second. Let's read some more. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy right hand hath holden me up, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me, that my feet did not slip. I have pursued mine enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn again till they were consumed. I have wounded them that they were not able to rise. They are fallen under my feet. Thou hast girded me with strength unto the battle. Thou hast subdued under me those that rose up against me. Thou hast also given me the neck of mine enemies, that I might destroy them that hate me. Now, I'll stop there. The rest of this chapter is like these verses we read, where God is the one who gave victory to David. God is the one who gave victory over the enemies. Now, in verse 34, he teacheth my hands to war. He teacheth my hands to war. Now, confidence, confidence is twofold in my understanding. Number one, confidence from these verses is in God. God is the one who gave victory to the writer of the psalm. God is the one who gave victory over his enemies. And in verse 34, he says, He, God, teacheth my hands to war. Well, what is that all about? He teaches my hands to war. How does one learn how to war or go into warfare? How does one learn to handle a sword or spear? Uh, how, does he, how does he learn that? By being trained, by being accustomed to the manners of war, by doing it from his youth, by being around men who are training and practicing and uh, rehearsing for actual combat. He teaches my hands to war. You see a combination of faith and works. One. He definitely is trusting in God for his victory over his enemies, yet he has trained, he has trained, he has trained for combat. He teaches my hands to war. He uses the mentoring, he uses the discipling, he uses the, the military training so that when he goes into combat, he's not caught off guard or surprised at how the enemy will, will, will do and attack us. He is quite mentally prepared and physically prepared and, and, and he, he knows what to do with his weapons. So he has been trained. Now, take that thought. He teaches my hands to war. Yet, throughout this chapter, to verse 50, he gives God the credit for victory. You are looking at verses that teach that confidence comes by being prepared and also by putting your trust in God. It's a combination. It's a blending of the two. It is not one or the other. I will repeat, it's not one or the other. It is the blending of the two. Preparation, training, skill, trusting God. That's the combination. Now, let me put it like this. When you go to your doctor or a doctor, and the doctor, when he first comes into the office where you're waiting for him, you've been brought into the room, the doctor will be with you in a few minutes. Just have a seat. The doctor finally comes in. He smiles at you. He's got a stethoscope, or she's got a stethoscope around her neck, and she comes and she begins to talk pleasantries with you, and she's trying to make you feel at ease, and she begins to talk to you, he begins to talk to you, 
And uh, the question that the doctor asked is like, whoa, good questions. It's not, how do you feel? What kind of question is that, how do you feel? Well, besides asking generally, how do you feel? Okay, it says here that you have the pain over here in the back of your left and he goes there and he, he asks you some questions to try to get a feel about what was the cause of the, the, the injury or the, the pain and so on. He's trying to understand where you come from so that he can give you a proper diagnosis. And so that's a good doctor. And um, as he is asking questions and take a deep breath, okay. Okay, and, and he begins to talk with you some more. Now, that doctor, if he's experienced and he's had many patients in his practice, he's a pretty good doctor. And you can have confidence in him. Now, the doctor has gone to schooling, he's had training, he's had an internship, he's had to go through several layers of experience and education before he can have his own practice. It's not medical school, open up your own practice, get a lease for here, put up a sign on the door, you can have a practice. It's not like that. You have to have time with a a more seasoned doctor so that you can make your mistakes with them and ask your questions and so on so that when you have your practice you're ready to go you feel confident and as a patient you can feel confident he knows what he's doing would you rather have a doctor who has had 10 years of practice of experience than to just go with someone who has no training but he has faith in God oh, 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 what a proposition go to a doctor who's had 10 years of experience, uh, a dermatologist, he's got 10 years of experience, or some person who just got out of school, or just some person just says, I have faith in God, I believe in God, I can do all things through Christ. So he says, just see me, I will tell you what's wrong. Who would you rather go to? Dr. A with 10 years of experience, or Dr. B who just has faith in God, but no training? Well, first of all, he's not even a doctor. He just says, he's, he claims he's a doctor. And, but he has faith in God. This one doesn't. Or maybe he does. But he's got the training and the experience. This one has faith in God for sure, but he has no experience. Who would you go to? Let me ask you this question. Who would you take your kids to? I know where I would take myself to. The guy who has experience and is a Christian. Or the guy's got experience because he medically has been trained and he's got experience. He knows what he's doing. That's the practical. Now let's be let's let's take ideal. The guy, the doctor, is a is a experienced doctor and he's a Christian. Even better. Even better. Even better. So it's not either or where um, you don't have confidence in a man but it's a balance of the two, practical and spiritual. He teacheth my hands to war. And uh, that's, that's what you should think. Confidence in a man is okay, especially if he has confidence in the Lord. So preparation, training, and is all part of it. And so uh, you can have total confidence almost in a, in a person who is qualified in a certain skill or, or craft or trade and if he's a believer, even more so. It ain't good to have uh, some professional say, let me pray with you about this. That's also a blessing to have someone say that. Uh, a trained dentist or 
uh, surgeon or someone who says uh, that they believe in the Lord, well, that's even more so because he's got the training in his hands. God bless my hands as I work in this patient. God bless my thinking, bless my mind, help my hands to work in coordination with what my mind is telling me to do and all the experience I've had. Help me to be careful as I do this procedure. Lord, I'm asking you to help me to be careful with this patient. That's always a blessing. So it's a combination of faith and works. And that's how you can have confidence in someone. And so we can say it like this, besides he teaches my hands to war, how about we say it like this, he teaches my hands to do the dentistry. He teaches my hands to do the surgery. He teaches my hands to fix the car. He teaches my hands to prepare the food and so on. That'd be good. He teaches my hands how to build this house or tear down this house or fix this house or whatever the situation is. He teaches me. It's very possible God can do that too. And so it's not a lack of faith in God if we are trusting someone's skill. All right, so the practical and the faith, trusting in the Lord is both necessary for us to have confidence. And number three, number three, about confidence, number three, we can be confident that Christ is still working on us. We can be confident that Christ is still working on us. Philippians chapter 1, well-known verse. Good to look at the verse. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6. Well, let's begin at verse number 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. You notice that when Paul uh, greets um, the recipients of his epistles or letters, he has a lot of pleasant words to say at the beginning of his letter. Grace and peace be unto you. He's a very pleasant man, isn't he? He's a gentle man. He's not just concerned about sound doctrine, which he was. He is really concerned about the heart of the recipients of his letters. He wants them to have a heart for God. So it's not just pounding into them facts. It's expressing to them to what it's like to have a heart for God. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you. Alright you Philippians. When you got saved. God began a good work in you. The day that you got saved was the best day of your life. Isn't that so? Being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you. Now when you got saved Philippians. That was just the beginning it was the beginning of a lifelong journey, a lifelong walk with Christ. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, that good work, until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, until the Lord comes back for you, he says, the Lord will continue to work on you. He says, I'm confident of that. And that's what he says, being confident of this very thing. God will still work on you even though it might take a long time. You know it takes a long time to produce anything that's good. <laughs> anything that's worth doing and producing, it takes a long time. Uh, my wife likes to watch This Old House. If you have a chance to watch This Old House, 
you'd be amazed at the skill and the knowledge of these veteran contractors, plumbers, electricians, and, and skilled men that they employ. Uh, they were working on a house in Rhode Island. They were converting the landscape, the house, taking, replacing all these things, yet keeping the old house intact, and uh, three floors, just, just, it took them six months, six months, the, the before and each segment, which is kind of good to have on this program because you're not watching commercials. Well, you just pass small kind of commercials and you just keep going until finally next week, we're done. Next week, the big celebration, all the workers would come in, in the house, they walk around, give a tour. It's beautiful, but it took them six months. Month one, so much to do. Month two, we're never gonna get done. Month three, oh, this is more than we expected. Month four, we see the beginning of the end. Month five, well, it's really taking shape. It's really looking good. With each passing month, you see progression. Until finally, the last episode in which to show you the beautiful home. You know what that's a picture of? God saved you, and he works in you month by month. Not for six months, but for your lifetime. And there's changes going on. Whether it be tearing this down, removing this, or reinstalling or replacing, whatever it is, he's working on you, see? And then you, you, you're you growing, you're progressing, but sometimes it's like, oh man, this is never going to, but he's still working on you. That's what he says. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will continue until the day of Christ, until the last time when Jesus comes back, you're growing, you're changing, you're being renovated. New materials, better materials than from the original house. Better technology, warmer, safer, more efficient, the whole thing. But it takes time to work on the house. And it takes time to work on you. So, oh, by the way, when God works on someone else, he may be doing it on a different timetable than you. He may have gotten you here, and you're over here in the fifth month, but he may have got this other person, and they're in the third month. So, as far as the house is concerned, house one, house two, house one has got a head start. But house number two began three months later, so it's three months behind. You cannot say, how come you're not like house number one? You're not done with that yet? What's wrong with you? Oh, there's nothing wrong with house number two because house number two is on track as it is keep on being worked on. House number one is now in its fifth month. House number two is now in its third, fourth month. And so it, it's, it's, it's going according to it. Here's house one, here's house two, okay? So it's going like this. They're both working in the same direction. They're both being changed and converted in the same direction, but they have a different head start. So that, what does that mean? That means that everybody has got a different start. Everyone's got a different progression, but everyone's being worked on. So would it be fair to say, don't be so critical about someone who's got a two year uh, start after me because they were two years behind. So if your house is about to be done, it's because you had a head start. They're now in the second month. They started late. Oh, not late according to them. They're starting at the right time for them. You start at the right time for you. 
So what does this mean? Be confident that God is working on you still and on others as well. So don't be so hard on people who are not always mature enough like you think you ought to be. Don't be so judgmental about people who are not so advanced as you are in Bible truth as you think they ought to have. Maybe they'll have it in time, but they certainly don't need you to point a finger at them and say, what's the matter with you? <laughs> okay? So those are three things about being confident. Do you remember what they are? You know, I'm not going to even ask you to say it again because I'm not sure if I remember what they are. But there's three of them. Start with a C. Okay, let's stop here. Thank you, Lord, for letting us study the Bible tonight and help us to have our confidence in you while that is going on. Help us to put our trust in not only you, but also we need to be responsible and do what is necessary for us to be changing and growing. We need to not be slothful. We need to do necessary things for us to continue to grow spiritually. But we thank you, Lord, for the Bible, which helps us to remember we can have complete confidence that all things work together for good and that you still work on us and that our confidence is in you totally, completely. While that is so, we can have confidence in, in good people because they are proven to be trustworthy and we can have confidence in them. That was not to be extreme. That was for to be balanced in our thinking of life and how it applies uh, according to the Bible. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.